0: Can you think of a time in your life that God has really gotten your attention? Can you think of a moment like that? God does that. God is prone to move in dramatic ways to grip our hearts. To move us in the right direction? Has there been a time in your life when God has gotten your attention? And maybe even a more pointed question. Does God need to get your attention? We're going to look at a story this morning where God intervenes in the affairs of a kingdom. So that... A king and his court are overwhelmed by the reality of God. Keeping that in mind, I want you to turn with me to Daniel chapter 5. We are continuing our study line by line, verse by verse. This wonderful Old Testament book, powerful We've made it to Daniel chapter 5, a remarkable story. Daniel's full of remarkable stories, and we come to another one this morning. We'll be in Daniel chapter 5. We'll begin reading in verse 1. When you found your place, I want to ask you this morning, if you are physically able to please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word. You get a little taste of VBS this morning, see some of the decorations around. It's a castle theme, a spiritual warfare type theme, and we are excited that tomorrow morning there's going to be lots of kids here and lots of workers, and we can't wait to see what God does. There's been so much work that's already gone into uh, this Vacation Bible School, and you say, well, I won't be there, or I'm not involved in any direct way, so that's not really for me. Wrong answer. Wrong answer. If you look in your worship guide in the corner, there's a box with some ways specifically that you can pray for VBS. So I'm counting on you, okay, I'm counting on you to cover this event in prayer because we really want to see the gospel change lives, amen? Amen. Nothing more thrilling than that. Daniel chapter 5, verse 1, the Bible says, King Belshazzar, notice we've made it, Uh, change from King Nebuchadnezzar to King Belshazzar. More on that in a moment. He made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousand. Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, commanded that the vessels of gold and of silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought, that the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought in the golden vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem. And the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Look at the next word. Immediately. Immediately the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace opposite the lampstand. And the king saw the hand as it wrote. Then the king's color changed, and his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way, and his knees knocked together. Let's pray together. Father in heaven we we say together as a faith family hallowed be your name you are worthy of our worship you are worthy of our praise you are the center of attention you are the reason that we're here to fix our eyes upon you and we ask that today you'd give us understanding of this passage through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, that we would see the truths of Scripture. And Lord, would you grant us inclination to respond to those truths? Father, change lives today, starting with my life. Work in our midst by your grace and always and only for your glory. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Notice there it says, King Belshazzar made a great feast. And a little bit later in the passage, it mentions that Nebuchadnezzar was his father. Now, if you study the Babylonian Empire through other sources than the Bible, you look at secular historians, you'll find that the, the last king of Babylon was actually a co-regent. He reigned with his son. The king's name was Nabonidus. His son's name was Belshazzar. And looking at those secular historians, we understand that Belshazzar was not Nebuchadnezzar's son. He was Nebuchadnezzar's grandson. And it mentions there in Uh, verse 2, that Nebuchadnezzar was his father. That word father could be translated ancestor. And when it mentions that Belshazzar was his son, that uh, could be translated descendant. And so he is definitely a descendant of Nebuchadnezzar, not his son, a grandson, a co-regent with his father, Nabonidus. And this really makes sense when you see a phrase that's used three times in this passage. Look what it says there in verse 7. After the king has this vision of a hand writing on the wall, it says, "...the king called loudly to bring in the enchanters, the Chaldeans, the astrologers, the king declared to the wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and shows me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple, have a chain of gold around his neck, and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom." Why not the second ruler? Because there are already two rulers, Nabonidus and Belshazzar. This person that would interpret the dream would be exalted to the place of third, the the third ruler of the kingdom. Use that same phrase in verses 16 and 29. So Belshazzar was the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar. And when you look at, again, Babylonian history and, and the time span of the kings, the the lifespan of the kings, we learn that decades have passed since the end of chapter 4. Between chapter 4 and chapter 5, decades have passed. And Daniel now, who we're going to look at in just a moment, is no longer a young Hebrew boy. Daniel's probably around 80 years of age. So in the past weeks, Some of the adults in the room might say, boy, our kids really need to hear this. Boy, our young people, they really need to be like Daniel. Well, guess what? Today's passage, he's 80. And we can all learn, can't we, from his example and be challenged to be like Daniel. So what I want to do is I want to just draw from the text five principles as we see the story unfold. This story is really an illustration of some major biblical truths. I want to walk you through five of those truths. Truth number one that we learn from this story is this. God will not be mocked. God will not be mocked. In the passage that we just read, there's a big party... Belshazzar throws the party. There are thousands there, it says, of his lords. They're drinking wine. There are the, the many wives of Belshazzar, the concubines of Belshazzar. This is a probably a very um, riotous feast. It's a party. And Belshazzar starts feeling pretty arrogant. And he tastes the wine, it says. And this is good wine. I tell you what, remember when my grandfather Nebuchadnezzar overthrew Jerusalem and he walked into the temple and he took furnishings out of the temple of the Hebrew God. He took the, the plates and the, the cups and the implements that the priests used, the priests that served that God. Bring those out, those furnishings, those plates those cups those implements used in the worship of the Hebrew God I'm going to use them to party and honor my gods so they bring out the cups and they fill them up with wine and it says they began to praise false gods there in verse 4 the gods of gold and silver and bronze and iron and wood and stone this is Belshazzar's way to stand against the God of the Hebrews. It's his way to disrespect the God of the Hebrews, which is why it's so interesting to see what happens in verse 6. It says, or verse 5, immediately the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace something supernatural. He sees a hand attached to nothing, and it begins to write words on the wall, handwriting on the wall. And look at his response. His color changed. You ever said to someone, it looks like you just saw a ghost. They've lost their color. He lost his color. His thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way. And this proud king, it says, his knees knocked together. He was terrified. Why? God will not be mocked. You see, this story is an illustration of Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, the Bible says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. The king here shows great disrespect. He sneers at the God of Daniel. But God will not be mocked. I don't know if you followed the story this past week or two, about the Los Angeles Dodgers. They invited a a group, an, uh, an advocacy group, to their pride night at Dodger Stadium. And it instantly caused outrage because they invited a group called the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence. The Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence are men who dress like Catholic nuns in a very lewd manner. Their motto is this, go and sin some more. Mocking the statement of Jesus to the woman caught in adultery, go and sin no more. Around Easter, some of them dress up like Mary and Jesus. And they party from bar to bar, mimicking... The journey of Jesus to the cross. Mocking Jesus. Mocking God. Mocking the cross. And the Dodgers invited them. Then there was some heat because they invited this very controversial group. So they disinvited them. But then there was some heat from the other side. So they reinvited them. And this group was invited to come to Dodger Stadium and do their thing. Can you imagine paying for tickets? Take your son or daughter to the ball game. Buy me some peanuts and Cracker Jacks, right? You settle into your seat. And then this group comes out on the field. with This lewd behavior, mocking Jesus Christ. Can you imagine that? Well, this didn't sit well with at least a couple of the players. One of the pitchers, or actually two of the pitchers, stood against this and released statements. One of the pitchers' name was Blake Trennan. And he released this statement about the Dodgers inviting the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence. Here's what he wrote in his statement. I believe Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. I believe the word of God is true. And listen to the verse he quotes. In Galatians 6, 7 it says, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. He goes on to say, This group openly mocks Jesus Christ, the cornerstone of my faith. And I want to make it clear that I do not agree with nor support the decision of the Dodgers to honor the sisters of perpetual indulgence. Then he closes the statement by saying this, quoting Joshua 24, 15. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That took some courage. But what got him to the place where he released this very public statement is that he saw his Lord and Savior being mocked. And this picture understands the principle that Belshazzar came to understand. That when you spit in the face of God, you will reap what you sow. God will not be mocked. That's why God appears in this vision to give him a message that we'll look at a little bit later. Second principle from this story Pride comes before destruction. Pride comes before destruction. It says there in verse 6, "...his color changed, his thoughts alarmed him, his limbs gave way, and his knees knocked together. The king called Lali to bring in the enchanters, Chaldeans, astrologers, king declared to the wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and shows me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom." Then all the king's men, wise men, came in, but they could not read the writing, which was in Aramaic, by the way, or make known to the king the interpretation. Then King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed. His color changed. His lords were perplexed. He's looking for someone to tell him what the writing means. It's interpretation for him. Then in verses 10 through 13, we read that his queen remembers there was a Hebrew named Daniel who had interpreted for Nebuchadnezzar some dreams that he had, which we've studied in the past weeks together. So Nebuchadnezzar is called in. And in verses 24 through 28, Daniel interprets the handwriting. Look what it says there in verse 24. Then from his presence the hand was sent and the writing was inscribed. This is Daniel talking about God sending the hand to write the message. This is the writing that was inscribed. Mini, Mini, Tickle, Parson. This is the interpretation of the matter. Mini, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tickle, you have, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Paris, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. He helps the king to understand what the writing means and what it means for him. These. Three words, many, tekel, parson, refer to weights, and therefore to worth or value. And Daniel's interpretation combined the basic idea of being weighed and valued. Mene is derived from the verb to to number or appoint. Tekel in its verbal form means weigh or assess, and parson is parts or shares. So Daniel explains in verse 27, here's what it means. You've been weighed, you've been evaluated by God, and you've been found wanting. You don't measure up because of your disrespect to the one true God. You've been weighed and found wanting. Therefore, parson, your kingdom will be given away. That's what that translation means. Now, some scholars believe that the word parson is a play on words because the Persians were were one of the groups along with the Medes that came and overthrew Belshazzar and the Babylonian Empire. A play on words. But the message is this. Because of your disrespect, because of the fact that you have turned your back to God, you will be punished. Your kingdom will be taken away. This story illustrates Proverbs 18, verse 12. You know what Proverbs 18, 12 says? Before destruction, a man's heart is haughty. Hey, bring out the cups from the Hebrew temple that were used to worship the Hebrew God. Fill them up with wine. Let's have a party before destruction. A man's heart is haughty, but humility comes before honor. We see this principle played out time and time and time again. God has built it into the fabric of society. That unchecked pride eventually leads to destruction. And the rampant pride of Belshazzar caused God to dramatically intervene to get his attention and send this message. Your kingdom will be taken away. Pride goes before destruction. Last week we talked about God's war against pride, the way he dealt with Nebuchadnezzar. And you and I need to evaluate our own lives, our own hearts, and say, is there a, a pride there that keeps me from, from listening to God, that keeps me from following God fully? Is there something in my life that, that causes me to disrespect God and go my own way in life? The biblical principle is pride goes before fall, which leads to the third truth. God's judgment is about personal accountability. God's judgment is about personal accountability. Now look back with me in verse 22. In verse 22. This is Daniel talking to Belshazzar, interpreting the dream, interpreting the handwriting on the wall. You, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart. He gives the whole history of Nebuchadnezzar being sent out to the wilderness to live like a wild animal. God humbled Nebuchadnezzar. He shares that history and says, But you've not humbled your heart, Belshazzar, though you knew all this. But you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven. And the vessels of his house have been brought in before you, and you and your Lord, your wives, your concubines, have drunk wine from them. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see or hear or know, but the God in whose hand is your breath. Wow. And whose are all your ways you have not honored. In those two verses, the words you, yourself, and your are used Fifteen times. In other words, Daniel is saying, this is about you, Belshazzar. This is about your decision to disrespect God. This judgment is about the decisions you have made. You. Yourself. Your. It's about you. In other words, Belshazzar was personally accountable for his rebellion against the Lord. And there's a principle we can learn from that. And it's very important. When you stand before God's judgment, there will be accountability for your deeds. Did you know that if you stand before the great white throne of judgment, there is no appeals process? It says over in Revelation 20 that the the, the earth... Flees from the presence of God. You're standing there with nowhere to hide before the judge of the universe. It's interesting to note that Belshazzar, it means Baal protect the king. Baal was a false god, a pagan god. And his name means, may Baal, the false god, protect you. Guess what? Baal couldn't protect him here, could he? It was just him and the one true God. This story of Belshazzar's personal accountability, I believe, is an illustration of Revelation 20, verse 12. Again, the scene is the great white throne of judgment. This is where people who are unsaved go before they're cast into eternal separation from God. In Revelation 20, 12 says this: I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. Listen, And books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. on judgment day, no one will say, that's not fair. Because God has a book, a complete, perfect record... Of every action, every word, every deed, every attitude of the heart. And people will be judged according to what is written in those books. In other words, no one gets away with anything. And here in Daniel... Chapter 5, Daniel says to Belshazzar, it's your decision. It's about you, yourself, your disrespect to God. Now there's nowhere to run, nowhere to hide. God's judgment is about personal accountability. When you stand before God, you won't be comparing yourself to others. You won't be arguing with the Lord you'll come to the full realization that your life of rebellion against God calls for His wrath and judgment. And apart from Christ, you will experience His judgment against your sin for all of eternity. The Bible calls that place the lake of fire. So God's judgment is about personal accountability, which leads to the fourth truth. God spreads his truth through sincere representatives. I want to take a moment and just kind of step away and, and look at Daniel and look at how Daniel stands for the truth in this story. Look what it says there in verse 13. The queen remembers that Daniel could interpret dreams. So in verse 13, the Bible says Daniel was brought in before the king. The king answered and said to Daniel, You are that Daniel. One of the exiles of Judah, whom the king of my father brought from Judah, I've heard of you that the spirit of the gods is in you and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. He had a reputation. Now the wise men, the enchanters, have been brought in before me to read this writing and make known to me its interpretation, but they could not show the interpretation of the matter. But I've heard that you can give interpretations and solve problems. Now, if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple, have a chain of gold around your neck, and again, be the third ruler in the kingdom. Now, look how Daniel answers. I love the integrity that Daniel shows here. Daniel answered and said before the king, let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. Nevertheless, I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. And then he goes on to share the background of Nebuchadnezzar. He calls Belshazzar to personal accountability and then he interprets the writing on the wall. Isn't it interesting in verse 17 that Daniel was not interested in the treasures of Babylon? He he was not impressed by what the king had to offer. His number one priority was to stand in truth for the one true God. His number one priority. Not interested in what the world had to give. Daniel did not represent God for what he could gain. Daniel simply speaks the truth and i thought about this daniel around 80 years old standing there before this very powerful volatile ruler probably still under the influence of 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 wine and he says king i don't need your stuff i'm not impressed by babylon But let me tell you what God says. Powerful. It reminded me of 2 Corinthians 2, 14-17. Let me read these verses for you. Paul writes, Thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. Victory in Jesus. Amen? And through us, through his followers, through Christians, spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one a fragrance from death to death, to other a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things, Paul writes. For we are not, I love this, like so many peddlers of God's word. Paul says, I'm not in it for what I get out of it. But as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. Paul's saying, My number one priority is to stand for the truth of the one true God. To tell people that He is the one who created the universe, He's the one that spoke everything into existence. And he is holy and righteous and good. And yet we have all rebelled against that holy God. We've all sinned against him. We deserve his his punishment and his wrath. But God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Paul's saying as we live our lives as Christians in the world and we stand for truth and we speak for truth, there's an aroma. Now some are going to respond to the truth you share. Some are going to hear you speak for Jesus. They're going to see you live for Jesus. They're going to see the difference Jesus makes in your life. And they're going to say, I want Jesus too. And oh, what a glorious Day that is when someone responds to Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. But there are going to be others as you live for Jesus who are not interested in your message. In fact, they disrespect your Savior and your God. When people respond to the gospel, your life is an aroma. It's a fragrant aroma. When people reject the gospel, your aroma is a stench. But hear me carefully. We're not responsible for how people respond. We're responsible to live out and speak out the truth that Jesus saves sinners like me. That's what we're called to do. To be an aroma in this world, like Daniel, not peddlers of God's word, not enamored by the things of the world, not in it for what we can get out of it, but we want to stand for the one true God and share the one message, the gospel that changes lives for time and for eternity. And so as we look at this story in Daniel, we've been reminded that God will not be mocked. We've been reminded that pride comes before destruction. We've been reminded that God's judgment is about personal accountability. And we've been reminded that God spreads his truth through sincere representatives. But fifth and last, don't miss this. We're reminded from this story that judgment can come suddenly. Judgment can come suddenly. Look what the Bible says there in verse 30. Daniel shares the message: You've been weighed and found wanting. Your kingdom will be overthrown. And look in verse thirty. The, the, these three words are are powerful. They're gripping. That very night. That very night. Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was killed. Historians record that even as this party was happening, the Medes and the Persians were sneaking into the city. They had dammed up a river, and they were were moving their way into the city. And it says that very night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was killed, and Darius the Mede received the kingdom being about 62 years old. The power of the Babylonian empire came to an end. They were no longer king of the hill. They were overthrown by another empire, and it happened that very night. That very night. We are reminded that judgment can come suddenly. This story illustrates Proverbs 29, verse 1. Listen to this verse. He who is often reproved, yet stiffens his neck, will suddenly be broken beyond healing. Now you might say, that Belshazzar, he should have humbled himself. He should have gotten the message. He should have turned to the one true God. That that Belshazzar... Let me share this quote with you from Dale Ralph Davis. He writes, When truth does not humble us or lead us to worship, we are simply Belshazzar clones. And when God's trying to get your attention... And you keep stiffening your neck. You keep disregarding him. Disrespecting him. Turning a deaf ear to him. When that happens, know that judgment can come suddenly. Just this weekend, I heard of two stories of young men in their 30s. Who died suddenly and tragically just this weekend in their 30s? Tomorrow is not promised. We need to respond to the truth God shows us today because judgment can come suddenly. Do you remember the scene I read to you earlier from Revelation chapter 20, the great white throne of judgment? There's a book, there's a book with all of our deeds recorded and those who are there at the great white throne were accountable for their rebellion against God and would spend eternity separated from God because they did not receive Christ. Remember, the Bible said there was another book there. It's called the book of life. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says if your name is written in the book of life, in fact, it calls it the Lamb's book of life, you don't have to stand before the great white throne of judgment. That judgment is not for you. You know why? Because when Jesus came to this earth and lived a perfect life and went to the cross, he took your judgment for you. He took the full wrath and fury of God that your sin deserves on the cross. He satisfied God's wrath for you. So when you embrace him as your personal Lord and Savior, he applies his shed blood to your sin and your sins are washed away and your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Now let me ask you a question. On that day when we come before God, do you want to stand there as one who has rejected Christ? Being judged for all of your deeds written in the book. Or do you want to know at that moment that when you stand before God, your name is written in another book. The Lamb's book of life. and Because of that, you don't have to stand before the great white throne of judgment. You get to go immediately into the presence of God. In heaven. Forever. And when we've been there 10,000 years bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. And so you see, it comes down to this. Which book will be your book when you stand before God? If your name is not written in the Lamb's book of life, listen to me, tomorrow is not certain. Today, today, you need to give your life to Jesus.